the only chapter in Jude, Jude 1. Let's take a moment to bow our heads and thank the Lord for today. Triune God, we come to you not because we are good, but because you are good. So this morning, please humble us before your word, before your truth, before Christ, so that we might exalt and praise the Creator, not creation. God, help us to clear our minds, clear our hearts, clear our thoughts, so we might not be distracted from what you want to speak to us today. May it be clear, Lord, what you want to do here at Roaring Brook within each and every one of us. And may there be food for us to eat today from your word so we might take it out this week and glorify you in all that we do and say. It's your name that I pray. Amen. This morning we're continuing our five-week series in the book of Jude. Jude is the second to last book in the New Testament. And if you wanted a theme for the book of Jude, that is the same theme as it was written uh, and for today, it would be kept by Christ. So why do a sermon series in Jude? Well, it's because Jude matters to us today. Because just as the time it was written to its original listeners, and for us today, is that we all need to be reminded that we are kept in Christ. So we are kept, we are secured, we are protected, provided for by Christ. And so we're going to take some time today to look at the second part of being kept in Christ um, and what does that look like. So last week we covered Jude 1 through 3 and we opened it up and, and looked at, and pastor looked at Jude uh, uh, verse 1, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So Jude, as he says, he's, he is a slave of Jesus Christ, but a brother of James. We know clearly from the rest of the New Testament that James was a brother of Jesus Christ. Thus, Jude, too, is a brother of Christ. But he says he is a slave, a bondservant of Christ. He is his servant, ready to give his life for Christ and his teaching. We also looked at last week is that um, our, our, the idea the pastor brought forth is that our doctrine influences our life. And so what we believe has an impact on who we are and our lifestyle. What we, what we take in and say, this is at the, the depth of my heart, this is what I hold to be true, that is going to have an impact on how I live each and every day, the choices, the decisions, uh, my outlook on life. So what I believe has an impact on how I act. Our doctrine must influence our life. From verse uh, 1 and 2, we looked at that, we learned that believers are, number one, they are loved by God. Two, they are kept by Christ. And three, they are called. And so the, the, the more we, we recognize and understand that we are kept, that we are hidden, that we are secured by Christ, that's going to have an impact on how we live and view the rest of life. Not only that, but we are loved and cherished 
by God. And so we begin to look back towards God in obedience to him. We looked at the purpose of the book of Jude. And so the purpose in writing is, is to address false doctrine within and outside of the church. So the problem with, with the false doctrine is that God's grace has been turned into a license for evil. And we'll look at that in verse 4. And finally, last week, we touched on that. We, if, if we are kept, protected, uh, preserved by Christ, then we must live as though we are sanctified and preserved by Christ. So this week we're continuing on and looking back at Jude verses 3 through 7. And I'd like to read that for us. Word of God says this, verse 3, book of Jude. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some men who were uh, designated for the judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into uh, promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Now, I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And He has kept with eternal change and darkness for the judgment of the great day. The angels who did not keep their position, but be deserted their proper dwelling. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as the angels did, and serve an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal life. So last week we looked at the, the theme, kept by Christ, which is going to be the bookends for the book of Jude. We see it in verses 1 and also verses 24 and 25. But now in the, in the transition from verses 3 through 7, we begin to see that, that someone else is, in, is kept by Christ. And that group of people is kept for judgment. Verse 3. Jude says, Dear friends... Or some might have beloved. And all that is noting that he has a deep relationship with the people he's talking to. So they are friends. They are beloved. He's seen them face to face. And so he wants to encourage them. But he says, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and to exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. Verse 4. In other words, he's saying, although I wanted to write to you, so his general purpose, his intention in talking to them, in interacting with them, was because, he, uh, because of the salvation that they shared. If you uh, have a similar passion with somebody, it's easy to talk to, a, a, to a, 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 even a stranger about that same uh, passion. For instance, uh, men with sports. If you have a favorite team, such as the, the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Patriots, it's easy to interact with someone of a complete stranger on the same subject. Because that's something you're passionate about. And Jude, in the same way, he is passionate about the gospel, about salvation that, that he and the church shared. And yet, he realizes that there's something else more primary that he has to address in the book of Jude. And that is that he might encourage the people to contend 
for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. To contend is, is to push up against something. It's, it's opposition against something. It's uh, opposition without overcoming. And so what Jude is relating to, the, to the, his listeners is that you have to push up, push back against false doctrine. You might not overcome it in this world, but you have to be on the defense against the false doctrine. And what is that false doctrine? Well, he goes on to tell us. But Jude is writing so that uh, he can contend against the faith, contend for the faith against this opposition, this false doctrine. So we move on to verse 4. He says, For some men who were destined for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning to the grace of God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. He gives three descriptions of these some men. And by saying some men, he's alluding to that they are part of uh, part within the church. He says, one, they are destined for judgment long ago. And so Jude is writing because he knows that these false teachers uh, have an ultimate uh, destination. That they are going somewhere where... Uh, that was determined for them previously by God. Not only have these men been destined for judgment, these false teachers within the church, but they have come in by stealth. They, have, they are though sheep uh, in, in, uh, or, or wolves in, in sheep's clothing. They have come in uh, in the fact that they're trying to get under the radar and yet cause people to turn astray and leave the right path. But not only are they destined for judgment, come in by stealth, but thirdly, they are ungodly. These men are ungodly. And he describes that by two things. He says, what is ungodliness? It's turning grace, the grace of God, into promiscuity or um, a license of evil. And then he says, the ungodly, they are denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. So he's describing these men, what they look like that are in the church, that are causing the confusion, causing and bringing together the false doctrine. Now we're going to look at kept by Christ for judgment. And so we see that in 5 through 7, and Jude is going to give a history of a few people that, in a, in a few groups that have been kept uh, by Christ for judgment. In verse 1 we said believers are kept by Christ, but now there's another group that's also included, and they are kept by Christ, but they're kept for judgment. Verse 5, he says, Now I want to remind you, though you know all these things, the Lord first saved a people out of Egypt... And who did, Christ, who did Christ save out of Egypt? Who did the Lord save out of Egypt? The people of Israel. And, and later, destroyed those who did not believe. So God called somebody out of Egypt. He, he brought people out of Egypt. And then later, destroyed those that did not believe. What passage of Scripture does that 
remind you of? Does that sound like? Where God might rescue his people and then perhaps purify them. We talked a few weeks ago about Exodus 32 and how, yes, God brought them out of Egypt and the people said, yes, we declare obedience and everything you've commanded we will obey. And then in chapter 32, they're quick to fall after other gods and put their hope and trust in a created image rather than the creator. So in doing so, God uh, rebuked his people and corrected his people. And destroyed some who did not believe. That could be one aspect of what Jude is alluding to here. So he says, God first saved the people and then destroyed those who did not believe in verse 5. And he has kept with eternal change in darkness for the judgment of the great day the angels who do not keep their position but deserted from their proper dwelling. And verse 7, in the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as the angels did. So he's going to give another two examples, two groups. The angels he's talking about here is most likely the angels before the fall of Adam and Eve. The angels that, uh, that followed Satan in his rebellion towards God because of his pride. And they were cast out of heaven. Uh, and because of their sin, that God drove them out. I believe it's recorded that a third of the angels uh, disobeyed God and followed after Satan. But not only does he compare uh, these, these men that are, are proving and teaching false doctrine, not only does he compare them to the angels of the fall, but he also compares them to the men and women of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them because they too practiced uh, sexual immorality and perversions. And so they, they uh, perverted God's truth and exchanged it for a lie. We all know well the, the story of Lot and his family in the, in the city of, of Sodom and Gomorrah that their immorality uh, was blatant before the eyes of God. And so while Lot was... In chapter 12 of, of Genesis, he was near Sodom. The very next chapter, Lot is in Sodom. And, and God tells Abraham of, a, of his plan to destroy all of Sodom and, and rid the earth of that immorality there. And Abraham pleads before God. He says, God, if there are 50 righteous, would you please spare the city? And God said, yes, but there's not 50. Abraham comes back, would you... Would you would you spare the city for five left? For 45 righteous, would you spare the city? And God says, yes, but there's not 45. Again, Abraham goes to the Lord and again and again and again until he says, God, if there are five righteous, would you spare this unrighteous city? And God says, yes, I would, but there's not five righteous people at Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot was eventually rescued Yet the city was destroyed. But God is demonstrating here, even in the book of Jude, that God sustains punishment for those teachers of false doctrine. Those who 
move past the truth. And he has kept him for the punishment of eternal fire. You see, we, see, as we talked about, yes, Jude is about being kept. Kept by Christ. There are two groups of people. Those who are believers, but also those who are kept for judgment. Those who are kept for judgment are the false teachers. The some men, he notes before and gives the, the description of who they are. Those kept for judgment are the angels who... Uh, who deserted God in heaven and followed after Satan. Those who are kept for judgment are the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they are kept for eternal fire to be an example. So why were these groups kept for judgment? It was because they were ungodly. It's because they were ungodly. So how does Jude define ungodliness or godlessness? He defines it in two ways. Back to verse 4. He says, The ungodly, they have turned the grace of God into a license for evil. And second, they are denying Jesus Christ. But not only that, Jude says they are denying Jesus Christ, but he gives a a, a clarification there that Jesus Christ is the only master and Lord. He's the only master. These groups of people were kept for judgment because of their ungodliness, because of their godlessness. Not only that, the ungodly are kept for judgment because of their sin and denial of Jesus Christ. But in reference to the book of Jude, where does the believer fit into this? If God is, if, if Christ is holding and keeping two different groups, he's keeping the believer and he's keeping those, the ungodly, those for judgment. What is he keeping the believer for? So the ungodly are for judgment. But where does the believer tie in? In the book of Jude. I believe in the book of Jude as, as consistent with uh, the book of Peter, Second Peter, because they correlate well together, uh, is that the believer are kept by Christ for the purpose of godliness. So the unbeliever it continues in ungodliness or godlessness, and the believer is kept for Christ for godliness. Jude 24. At the end of Jude, he's he's wrapping things up. He says, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. See, you are kept by Christ so that you might stand in God's presence for his glory, to be blameless and with great joy. 1 Timothy 4.8, for the... It says, for the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise to the present life and also for the life to come. You see, Paul, even in the book of of, of 1 Timothy 4, he describes the importance of godliness, that it is beneficial. 
And it holds, it holds a purpose for the present life as well as the life that is yet to come. And Titus 1.1, Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to build up the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You see, one of the reasons that, that Jude is making such a, a priority of, of taking truth seriously in the midst of false doctrines is because that truth leads to godliness. And if we were to sit back and say, what, what is godliness? Godliness is God-likeness. Or it is an awesome respect uh, accorded to God, devoutness. It's being able to, to look at life from God's perspective, being devoted to God. So for the false teachers, they were going to receive judgment and they were being kept for judgment. But for the believer, the believer is kept for godliness, to grow in grace, to, to search out and find truth in the, midst, in the midst of false teaching. So the believer is kept for godliness. If the ungodly in Jude is kept for judgment because they have turned the grace of God into a license to do evil, and second, because they have denied Jesus Christ, then what are the marks of a believer pursuing godliness? Well, if the marks of the ungodly, if the marks of the ungodly are turning grace, the grace of God, into a license to do evil, then the marks of the believer is turning the grace of God into a license of love, for love. Also, it's accepting Christ, accepting Jesus in all areas of life, making Him the only Master and Lord of our lives. Kept by Christ for godliness. A few applications. So for believers, the, Jude is encouraging the believers. The reason he is writing is to contend for the faith in the midst of false doctrines. So we can pursue godliness by first demonstrating God's grace as a license to love others. To demonstrate that love to people each and every day. To people in the workplace. To people at the home. To people... Uh, in, in the office, uh, on the playground, wherever you are, to demonstrate the love of God for them. But not only is it demonstrating the love of God and, and God's grace is giving a license to love others, but it's also to accepting Jesus in all aspects of life. You see, for the ungodly, they're seeking to deny Jesus, but for the believer, for those who have trusted and accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is accepting Christ more and more each and every day. I think accepting Christ is a lifelong journey. You say, yes we, yes, we pray that prayer and say, you know, Jesus, come into my heart. But it's not just instant. It takes time to give Jesus more and more of your life, to continue to open doors and say, Jesus, I need you to, to help me with this aspect of life. I need you to, to look over my finances. 
I need you to, to look over my, my emotions, my, my, uh, my physical well-being. I want you to take place. I want you to take priority and purpose over that. So accepting Christ into all aspects of life is a, is a lifelong journey. For the believer, it's, life is about pursuing godliness. And we are kept by Christ so that we might pursue this godliness, the God-likeness. Having a perspective, the perspective of God on, on each and everyday life, the being that, that devoted to God and what He's doing in the world, and not our own perspective. So this week, uh, just some, from three, three applications. Uh, parents, uh, take a moment around the dinner table and ask your kids, what is... What does godliness look like? Uh, whether, you're, whether you're playing sports, whether you're interacting with friends on the, on the playground or through social media, um, or, even, uh, or even doing your schoolwork. What does, what does devotion to God look like in that dynamic? What does obedience to God look like? Second, you know, teens and young adults... God's grace is a license to love. So who can you share God's grace with this week? You say somebody's going through a tough time. They just broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. How can you show God's grace in that dynamic? Maybe they're struggling with, with where to go to college or what schools um, to attend. How can you show God's grace and have a license of love within that friendship? How can you be a messenger or a minister of God's grace this week. And finally, those who are mature believers, ask yourself, are there any areas in my life that I am still denying Jesus? Are there any corners or, or rooms within, within who I am that I've just said, Jesus, you can't go there. You can't open that door. You can't tear out that page. I don't want you there. Are there any areas in your life that you have not made Jesus your master and Lord? And seek to accept him in that area of your life and welcome the change that he brings. So how are we kept by Christ? We are kept for the purpose of godliness. Yet the ungodly is kept for judgment. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, help us not to turn your grace into a license for sin or evil, but help us to turn your grace into a license to love. Love on our friends, love on our family, Love on our co-workers. Love on complete strangers. That we might demonstrate the love that you have demonstrated to us. Because in that love, you gave Christ to die in our place. And yet even today, we can demonstrate that love to others by reminding them of God's love for them and demonstrating that each and every day. So God, may we be 
ministers and bearers of your grace today. May we seek to live in godliness and not godlessness. God, help us to demonstrate uh, you each and every day in our, in our homes, in the workplace, and with our friends. Help us to invite Christ into our lives, accepting him more and more as we go through life. Not rejecting him, not being like the ungodly who deny Christ. But may we seek to embrace him, his love, his care, his concern for us. So God, be glorified in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions today as we seek to glorify you in godliness. Amen. Go in peace.